full of cinematic garbage. One man will be your filter. Welcome to Movies Worth Seeing. With your host, Michael Pishinary. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Movies Worth Seeing. On today's episode, we're going to find out, has Netflix launched their next big franchise in the spy action genre with The Grey Man, starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans? Have they done it? Has Netflix launched a massive new franchise, their version, pretty much, of the Bourne franchise, their Mission Impossible is the Grey Man the foundations for a franchise that would lead to countless sequels and billions and billions of dollars for Netflix? Or is this just yet another forgettable action movie from Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> is this more Born Identity or Red Notice? We are about to find out. Let's get to it. So going into this film, The Grey Man. Like, honestly, going into this film, I was really excited because, not going to lie, I'm always excited to review a movie that I don't have to watch in a cinema. And this film is in a cinemas, but also on Netflix. And for the life of me, I honestly can't understand this from a business model because everyone's just going to watch it on Netflix, especially when you look up reviews of the movie and see that it's not really getting the best reception critically. I would say to myself, why would I bother going to the cinemas when it's right in front of me? Anyway, worked out great for me. <laughs> Let's get into it. Look, guys, The Grey Man is like a greatest hits from a band you're not particularly a fan of. It's a real at wheel of just spy action tropes, really. It borrows so heavily from so many movies. I honestly found myself just being like, yep, that's from that movie. That's from that movie. That's from that movie. Really, that's the exact same scene from that movie, shot for shot. Like, it borrows so heavily from films like Commando, Face Off, The Bourne franchise, obviously, Taken, John Wick. It even had shots that reminded me of films like Captain America, The Winter Soldier, where people will be doing these ridiculous jumps from buildings, which would make sense in the context of a Captain America movie because they're all superheroes. But in this movie, they're all just meant to be average people, so doesn't really work and it looks kind of odd and out of place. Before I dive really deep into this, let's go over the plot of The Grey Man. And once again, I have to look up the plot because I don't remember this damn movie at all. All right. Okay. Yeah. When the CIA's most skilled operative, whose true identity is known to none, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets, a psychopathic former colleague puts a bounty on his head. Setting off a chain of events. Setting off a global manhunt by international assassins. So yeah, going into this film, I was really excited to see Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans together. And Chris Evans as a villain. After doing all these, you know, Marvel films where he was the go-to good guy. And then being like, no, nah, let's bring more, you know, of that cocky, arrogant Chris Evans that we saw in movies like the Fantastic Four movies, which are terrible films, but, you know, Chris Evans was always kind of shining in those movies. And then you got Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Chris Evans was a bad guy in that movie. 
and Knives Out more recently. I was so intrigued. I wanted to see more of this. And then I watched the trailer and I'm like, holy shit, I'm getting some face-off vibes here, you know? I'm getting some Chris Evans is channeling some Nick Cage in face-off or John Travolta, you know, that character, that wild, loose, canon kind of villain who's international terrorist, one-liners, not taking anything serious, all the stuff that you want in like a fun kind of over-the-top action movie. I was like, wow, okay, this is great. And there's one scene in the trailer where I was like, yes, this could be a fun movie. If they really cover a lot of that face-off angle between Ryan Gosling and Evans' characters, then this could be a fun time. Don't think I got exactly what I was promised from the trailer, to be honest. <laughs> Look, Ryan Gosling is always fun as a quiet yet intense action star, but here there wasn't really enough character development or coherence in the plotline for me to care about him at all. Like, the film tries to give you little flashbacks of his tragic backstory to, you know, get you to feel some sympathy for him, but there wasn't enough for me to see him differently to other films of his. In saying that, Ryan's deadpan delivery of one-liners, even in the midst of the chaos, he did make me laugh. His comedic timing as an actor, is, I feel, is severely underrated. You know, Ryan Gosling never gets praised for his comedic timing, but I feel like in films like Crazy Stupid Love, that really shined his comedic talent. And in this film, he can make even the shittest, you know, jokes work. Complete polar opposite to Thor Love and Thunder, where they just... You know, they just throw on jokes at you constantly. Here, the jokes kind of land because they're not thrown at you constantly. They come out of nowhere. You kind of don't expect when a one-liner or quip is going to come. And they're funny. They're subtle. They're not as full-on. And Gosling, you know, every joke handed to him by the script, he nails it. I was actually laughing a lot at him. But yeah, he's still a badass. I mean, like Thor, Love and Thunder, take notes. (laughs) That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Gosling was good. He did the best he could. I love Gosling in most films. He's proven himself as like a funny, he can be funny, he can be intense, he can be an action star. Great casting choice with Ryan. And again, then on the opposite side, we've got Chris Evans. He's touting a villainous mustache. He's the definite star of the show. I personally, as I said, I love Evans as a bad guy. In films like Knives Out, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and even the Fantastic Four movies, he's always just so funny and you can tell he's having fun with the role so it's always contagious so whenever he's on the screen i'm loving him the problem is the movie never uses him he's barely in this film to really light it up we don't know enough about him to see him as anything more than a generic rogue agent that will stop at nothing to take down ryan gosling's character like the plot line in the film is just chaotic and a little bit thrown together like the villain's motives aren't that easy to follow It reminded me, again, James Bond, Goldeneye. But in Goldeneye, the villain and hero, they had an existing relationship. Like Sean Bean's rogue agent portrays James Bond after working closely with him for years. So there was ties between the main character and the villain. In that film, you felt they had a history. They had a feud. It meant more to see Bond kill a once great friend and partner. But with Gosling and Evans' characters in this film, they got no ties. It's just a generic villain that wants to take down a spy because he found out some government secrets. So there's nothing to kind of, you know, 
even films like Face Off, they swap faces. They know each other really well to the point where they can actually pretend to be the other person in the other person's life. When they swap faces in Face Off, they go to each other's family's places and pretend to be that person because they know them so well. They've researched them. The point is, the best part of this film was the dynamic between Evans and Gosling, and they somehow screw it up because there's just no real connection between them. Like, there's one scene in that trailer that I loved, and I was like, man, if the movie just gave me this for an hour and a half, I'd be totally fine with that. If you're going to, like, copy a whole bunch of movies, just copy one movie, copy GoldenEye, and just stick with that. Stick with that simple-ass plot. You could do that and still make it different. But anyway, yeah, unfortunately, Evans just comes off as a generic Marvel supervillain. And that's kind of ironic considering Evans just left the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The one scene from the trailers that stood out to me, yeah, as I said, was Gosling and Evans when they finally come together. And you're excited, you know, because you see Evans is relishing in the chaos. It's, It's a fun highlight of the film. And that's where it's at its best. But unfortunately, it takes 60 minutes before that scene even happens. And they haven't shared any screen time. Most of the film is quite convoluted and overly complicated. Like, it tries to squeeze every trope from every single spy movie. It's like it's got a handbook and it's just, boom, let's put in, you know, the pro agent who's got the tragic backstory. Let's put him in. He gets hired because of his skills. And now he's uncovered a secret conspiracy within the agency And now he's targeted by a whole bunch of different assassins. And then it it springs off into a million other plot devices. And it's like, it's really hard to keep track. If they had just ripped off like one spy movie and just kept it at that, it would have been fine. Like what this film reminded me of, it was like trying to put the entire Bourne trilogy into one film. It's like, we've got enough there and they keep putting more on your plate. As if to say, nah, you want more. You need more plots. You need more stories. It's like, nail the first movie. Give me this other story or subplots in the second film. And if this is meant to be a franchise that Netflix wants to build, follow the John Wick kind of formula. You start off the first film, it's very simple. Then the second, third movies, it branches out a bit more. We learn more about the agency through the sequels. That way you're not trying to do too much and you can just focus on one kind of central point. This film, like, I don't know. I just don't really understand Ryan Gosling's character, Six. His character arc isn't very clear. The lessons he learns doesn't really work. So that's kind of the big problem with this film. What could have been used across three different films is wasted all in one movie. It's as if the script lacked the confidence to believe in its stars, which is ridiculous considering you got Billy Bob Thornton, Chris Evans, and Ryan Gosling. Other big players like Danush that I was not familiar with. I read a lot and heard he's quite popular in Indian films, so I can't really say a lot, but I will say he was a very key highlight when he came on the screen. His fight scenes with Ryan Gosling were really fun to watch. He's got a good intensity. He was really well casted. I liked his performance in this movie. He's someone I can't wait to see more of. But it does bring up something with the fights in this movie. There are some fight scenes in this film where legit two characters will be fighting for ages and then they get to a point where they're like, 
oh, by the way, I was going to tell you, I'm not the bad guy. I'm actually a good guy. And it's like, why the hell were you fighting for 10 fucking minutes? Couldn't you have just said to each other, like, oh, by the way, like, I'm not the bad guy anymore. Like, I've changed my ways. Like, you couldn't have just said that. A lot of fights, a lot of action scenes in this film, from a story point of view, you kind of look at and you go, all right, this could have easily been avoided. Even the final battle in the film just feels so... Like, unnecessary. You look at it and you go, all right, the main character's an idiot because why this didn't have to happen. Just dumb decisions. Another actress that was a key highlight, another performer that I was really drawn to in this film was Julia Butters. She was a clear standout. She brought a lot of heart and soul to the film when the film's script didn't really deserve it at all. I was actually taken aback. I was like, when certain characters were in peril, and I was kind of thinking to myself, eh, not believing it. I saw her and I was like, holy shit, okay, this is real. Like, <laughs> I need to take this on more than what I am. Like, she's working so hard to make you believe that we're meant to give a shit about stuff in this movie that you almost do. But then the script just drops the ball with her. However, I don't know. I don't see a sequel happening based on what I've heard with the success of this film, but she's got a bright future ahead of her. That's one thing, 100%. Another thing about this film that's really odd to me, I felt this film had a very bland color scheme. It's like they had a turd or something on the camera lens because the color scheme in this movie is terrible. They use all uh, lots of browns and blacks and dark colors and the color grading and it's just very dull and monotonous and boring. It gives you this very flat vibe and you don't want to watch it. When I think of like fun spy action movies like Captain America and the Winter Soldier, directed by the same directors as this film, what else? There was that Ryan Gosling movie, even Red Notice, even though I hated Red Notice, couldn't even bother finishing that film. But one thing, at least it was colorful. It had moments where, you know, it went into greys and blacks and got a bit ugly with the CGI, but most of the film was quite vibrant, quite colourful. The same with that other film Ryan Reynolds did. I think it was called Six Underground, the Michael Bay film. A lot of Michael Bay movies, they're very well colour graded. They've got bright kind of colours. They've got fun. They scream fun on the screen. This film, and it's such a simple thing, but I feel the colour grading could have been improved. If you know you're making a, a simple kind of popcorn spy action movie, why not just, you know, throw in some bright colors? It came off like the movie was trying to make out like it's something serious and grounded and intense, like it's the dark night or something. When it's like, I look at the script and I go, this is not that kind of film. And, you know, Chris Evans knows what kind of movie he's making. That's why he's having some fun, but it lets down the whole movie. It really does. And it's a shame too, because I don't think this is as bad of a film as what other critics and that have said. It's just forgettable, but it's solid. But the colors would have really helped me kind of stay engaged throughout. It makes me sound like a little kid, like, I want to see some bright colors. But yeah, it's true. You know, I don't want to look at shit for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. At times, action sequences, they have way too many cuts. They had me feeling like I was missing something. The point of the scene constantly, I was scrambling to reorientate myself. It actually led to a lot of motion sickness and just, I just felt very, yeah, like I said, disoriented. 
I don't. Th- it was kind of like there's a joke with Taken Three where you know Liam Neeson's getting old, so they use a stunt double. So something as simple as him climbing a fence requires like 20 takes, and it's so clear as day that it's done that way to show or to hide the stunt double popping in for Liam Neeson. That's not a knock at Liam Neeson, of course. You know the guy's a fucking legend, and I get it. I get why you're doing it. But the audience knows, like, the audience can tell when there's too many cuts. And you feel it in this film. It's not necessary. I actually prefer in movies when an action sequence is done, like, in one take. It feels more impressive and it's more immersive, I feel, as a viewer. Like, when you watch films like Birdman, that movie hooks you in because you keep thinking, like, where are the cuts? Like, I don't... When did this movie stop? It just kept going. And it's a really awesome film for that. I feel the same with action movies. I like seeing that stuff. It's a shame that there's too many cuts because sometimes the action sequences are quite good. I like the fight choreography. Yeah, it's just, it can be a bit too much. As someone who suffers from motion sickness, so this film tried something kind of experimental, I noticed, with these drone shots. It had drone shots for establishing shots, establishing the setting. The drone shots were really fast. So a drone, for example, circles around a castle and it'll go really fast and then the drone goes into a room to try and create this feeling like it's an establishing shot, but then it also goes into the action. And the drone could be following Chris Evans running towards a room or something like that. It sounds cool, but the problem is the first couple of times I saw the drone shots, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's fun. I like that. Something different, something experimental, something you wouldn't expect from this paint-by-the-numbers kind of spy action movie. But then they keep doing it. They keep doing it over and over, and you're just like, stop. Just stop doing that. Like, I'm getting a headache from looking at these stupid scenes. As someone who suffers from motion sickness, I found the drone shots, they were fun and experimental the first couple times, but then they get overused and they become annoying. Like, a simple establishing shot is fine. Not everything has to be so bloody intense and full on. Similar to the fight scenes with too many cuts. It's like, you're trying to make it look stylish, but you're actually losing me by doing that stuff. Anyway... I'd say, if you're going to watch this film, watch it on Netflix, but don't bother going to the cinemas for it. I'm going to give The Grey Man a two out of five stars. It's an action-packed film with some nice humor sprinkled throughout that isn't too overbearing. The lack of focus on one central plot makes the film come across as a bit of a jumbled mess. This film kind of wasted a star-studded cast and visually is kind of bland. I feel this film's mission was to bring people to Netflix And even with a $200 million budget, I can't really recommend to people to sign up to Netflix just for this film. And that's what the whole purpose of this film would have been. Because why else would Netflix invest $200 million into this film? And when you watch this film, it doesn't look like $200 million. Like, I see it and I think to myself, this is a lower budget kind of spy action film. But I don't see $200 million for whatever reason. Honestly, this film could have just ripped off one spy movie and it would have been fine. Like, rip off Goldeneye, have more action between Gosling and Evans, and I wouldn't have minded that because I felt that's what I was getting from the trailer. Like, you guys lied to me with that trailer. 
when I didn't get that, I felt disappointed. One thing I will say, movies worth seeing instead of The Grey Man, I would recommend Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which ironically is directed by the same directors as this film, the Russo brothers. That's a really fun spy action movie. Face Off, you got Nicolas Cage and John Travolta swapping identities, literally swapping faces. It's hilarious and super over the top, but man, is that a fun film. Pretty much any Mission Impossible film, everyone knows every Mission Impossible film as been an improvement on the previous. It's one of the only franchises where I feel the sequels have gotten better and better. And who doesn't want to see Tom Cruise risk his fucking life for every movie he's in? Bourne Trilogy, another great... Actually, there's four Bourne movies, technically five, I think, because there's also Jeremy Renner in one. Anyway, I think the first three Bourne films can't go wrong there. Highly recommend. Taken. Taken one with Liam Neeson, great. Can't recommend the sequels, but take them one. And Goldeneye, James Bond, Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. At the time, that was like revitalizing James Bond in the 90s because it was the first Pierce Brosnan film. It's got some fun action sequences, campy, some cheesy dialogue and cheesy characters, but fun, simple spy action movie, popcorn flick with lots of explosions and shit. Still looks good, even though it was released in 1995. And you got Sean Bean being the villain. Can't go wrong there. And also Triple X, the original Triple X. No, I'm not talking about a porn parody. I mean Triple X starring Vin Diesel, back when Vin Diesel did other things besides Fast and Furious. Another great, fun film that kind of played a bit on the spy action tropes by... In fact, the opening sequence of Triple X kind of set up, oh, here's the James Bond character, and he just dies straight away, and now we've got to hire someone different. And they go, what if we just hired a mad extreme sports kind of specialist to be a spy? And it's awesome. You know, Vin Diesel's playing it cool. He's fun. He's dealing with Samuel Jackson. They've got great chemistry together. But you also see that was at a time when the spy stuff and James Bond was kind of going down the toilet and Triple X was like, let's try something different. What if the spy isn't a spy? What if he's just badass who can snowboard and parachute off of Ferraris and all this other weird stuff? Highly recommend. So if you liked this podcast, please, you know, share it and subscribe. Please leave a review. I'm also being mindful to start reading out reviews for the podcast. So if you leave a review, I will read it out on the next episode. And yeah, guys, there'll also be a YouTube video up on the YouTube channel at Michael Pichonieri. So thanks, guys. If you enjoyed the show, let me know. If you don't, also let me know. That's it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to Movies Worth Seeing. Make sure to like and share the show and leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Michael Pish Podcasting and watch movie reviews, audience reaction videos, and other fun content on our YouTube channel at Michael Pishonary.